Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balance is an issue that many investors struggle with. We're going to give you our priority order on how to think about selling stocks. That's coming up. Stick around. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my co-host and friend, Dan Maseka. Dan, great to see you for another week. Yeah, this is another Saturday edition of Check Your Balances recording. I know. Yeah, we've got like the Ryder Cup going on. And by the time this actually airs, because we publish on Wednesdays, everybody will know who won the Ryder Cup. But right now, it's at least looking pretty good for Team USA. Some pretty incredible shots with uh, Jordan Spieth coming off that that crazy wall shot. Um Really, really high vertical. Fun stuff. Again, I, I'm not sure how many golf fans we actually have in our listening audience, so I'm always scared to go there. But uh, I, I've certainly been enjoying it. I'll tell you, I, I love the Ryder Cup, and it's the, probably my favorite golf tournament only because people are a little bit turned up in the audience, and you can boo and shout a little bit. But I especially enjoy watching, especially coming off of my most recent round of golf, which you witnessed firsthand. But it's always nice seeing professionals hit a couple into the water, too. So, you know that, uh, you know, they're human as well. Yeah. In our round, we had plenty of that going on. So we, we were not at a loss of seeing some bad shots. No, if anyone wants to see bad shots firsthand, come book a book around with me. No kidding. Me, me too, for what it's worth. But uh, all right. So let's get into our topic today. Let's get right into it, because I think this is an interesting one. And it is one that I know for, that people struggle with, which is selling stocks. And you and I have kind of talked through a little bit of a framework on how to do this and really kind of what the methodology should be. And I just wanted to share that with our, our listeners. And we maybe have touched on a couple of these things in part in, in prior episodes, but really laying out our thought process. And this is a priority kind of rank order for how we should be thinking about whether we should sell stocks. My order is number one, cash flow need. Number two, outlook. And number three, tax considerations in that order. So let's start with cash flow needs, Dan. What, what comes to mind for you there and kind of how do you think through that? So uh, when we were talking about the show topic, the first thing that came to mind for me is a book I'm reading right now called Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits by Philip Fisher. It's a really old book, but what I love about it is everything he says, minus maybe a few of the examples, are still true today. So the, he has a chapter called When to Sell. The very first paragraph talks about selling for cash flow needs. And he says, you may want to build a new home or finance your son in business. Those are great times to sell stocks because you need the cash. 100%. Right. We, I think some folks that we talk to get really, really passionate about the companies that they invest in. And that's great. That's where you want to be as an investor is excited about these businesses, excited about what they're doing, their prospects. But if you need the money, it's okay to sell a stock that you like or a company that you still continue to believe in. So we, I think we have to start there just by giving people permission to think that way, that it's okay. That doesn't mean that you now hate the company or, or don't like its prospects. Uh, and along that same line of thought, 
that doesn't ever mean that you have to sell 100% of your position, right? Unless you only own one share of stock in that company, we should, in most cases, be talking about trimming a position back unless your outlook has changed. And we'll get into some of the outlook stuff there. But that doesn't mean that you don't like the company, that you don't believe in it. It is completely reasonable, rational, and quite frankly, encouraged that if you've got something you need the cash for, that you take it out of some of your holdings. That's why we're investing, is to enable the things that you want to do in life. We're not holding back on the things that we want to do in life purely to be investors to hold things forever. And so I think that that mentality shift is really important to drive home for people. And as Ross said, you don't need to sell all of a holding. You don't need to make a call on a company just because you need the cash. You can trim across the board. And the beautiful thing today is we no longer live in a world where there are high brokerage commissions for making a trade. So that doesn't come into play either. Whereas, you know, probably five or 10 years ago, every trade you make might be 12 or $15 and that can add up pretty quick. Absolutely. I think it's gotten much easier today because yeah, you used to be thinking with that commission and even just a couple of years back, we were still talking about four or five, six, seven dollars in most places that people were trading at the discount brokers. And so if you've got a portfolio of 30, 40, 50 plus positions, trimming across all of them could be a really expensive proposition for you on a percentage basis. And so now I think that it's much, much easier to consider small trims across the board and you could keep your portfolio largely intact the way it is in a, on a percentage basis without having to make those types of adjustments. Even for stocks that are trading for prices in the thousands of dollars, many brokers are facilitating fractional shares now, or I know Schwab calls it stock slices, which admittedly, I haven't, I haven't done this yet, but I suspect that also makes it easier to trim a position where otherwise you might be looking at having to sell a whole share. All right. So let's talk about number two, which is conviction or your outlook on a stock. I think this is probably the hardest one for people to evaluate and, and to be objective about. And so there's a couple of things that we can do here just in terms of talking through it. I think number one, you've got, you and I have definitely talked about this in the past, is journaling. I think if you do some journaling, it is much easier to reevaluate your positions because you can go back and look at what did you originally believe? What was your thesis? And in investing, we've got this kind of funny world where we could have the wrong thesis and still get the company right. The company could still do very well, even if we were wrong about why we thought about it. So maybe we need to revisit that. Or we've got a great thesis and the company doesn't do well as a result because maybe you were wrong on the economics of what was going to play out, even though your thesis was right, but the company's results didn't necessarily match in terms of that, right? So we could have this mismatch, but I think having a written down whether you jot that on like a Google note somewhere, like, you know, it's just, just jot it down electronically or have a notebook, whatever you do, every time you buy a stock, especially a new holding, to have a little bit of a note of what did you think? Why did you buy this? And what were you excited about? Gives you something to go back to and reevaluate. And bringing it back to common stocks and uncommon profits, that's the very next place he goes in the when to sell chapter. And the big thing about journaling and reviewing your holdings is to check your ego at the door. Be honest with yourself if you had a wrong thesis, but also make sure you're evaluating yourself on the right metrics. And if it turns out that you've missed the mark, sell. You know, Forget about anchoring to where you bought it. You can use that money better elsewhere. 
and go find another great opportunity that you've uncovered. I mean, that's a huge thing that we see is people going, well, I'll hang on to it until it gets back to even. If you don't believe in that company anymore, get rid of it. Like that is no longer something that's going to serve you well. Thinking of it in like parabolic terms that it went down by X, so it's likely to come up by the equal X, right? That's not how we should be thinking about it. It really is a conviction decision. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I see people making a mistake with quite a bit. You can play that game forever. You can hold for months, even years, looking at a company that you no longer like, just waiting for it to hit an artificial price that you've set in your head. Just get rid of it. But it's tough because sometimes the reason you don't like the company is simply because it's gone down, right? And that's why we started with the journaling and being honest with your thesis because we easily come to love the companies in our portfolio that have done very well. If it's gotten big in the right way, if it has gone way up and become a big piece of our holdings, our affinity has likely grown almost in lockstep with how that price appreciation is going on in our portfolio. If you've got a 10-bagger, I bet you like that company. Even if you even if you didn't have that much conviction in it when you originally bought it, the results are going to influence that emotional decision. And so having that journaling to fall back on is going to be really good as you evaluate it. For sure. I've I've been on both ends of that coin. And a few years back, I did start journaling about the stocks I was looking at and the stocks I was purchasing. And I, it helped me so much because it's hard to remember what headspace you were in when you made a purchase. Uh, but it's nice to go back and see why you were excited about something. And if it's been years, did it materialize? So I'm going to suggest another exercise for people. And I've talked about this uh, quite a bit because I think it's a really uh, healthy exercise, which is what I'm going to call the sticky note exercise. Get a pad of like post-it notes, right? It costs you like a buck 50 or whatever post-it notes cost. And you're going to write the name of every single company or just the tickers, whatever's easiest for you, on each individual post-it note. Go to your dining room table, lay them all out, and start trying to put the post-it notes in your conviction order, right? How high of a conviction do you have? What of those companies do you think are the best opportunities? Which do you think are the least exciting opportunities, right? And if you go through the whole exercise and you rank every single company in your portfolio, and again, I think when you're doing this, it's easier to do like head-to-head matches, right? Do I like XYZ or ABC, right? And and then kind of do it that way. You don't have to just start with a full, complete order. But what you should end up with is really a conviction-ranked list. And then you can start to compare that against your holdings. What you may find is that the things you're most excited about are not your largest holdings. That immediately gives you easy places to start trimming some of the stocks that you have if we've got that cash flow need and we're looking for how to reposition some things, right? And and I go back to a Bill Mann line, what does your portfolio say you believe? Because you may find that your portfolio says very different things than what you're actually thinking when you look at these companies. So the other thing that if you're looking to sell stocks and raise some cash that I think ends up being kind of an easy target are things that are too big and things that are too small. Um, now, this is a little bit less elegant than kind of going through in conviction waiting, but if you've got a really outsized list of stocks in your portfolio and maybe you're looking at it going, oh man, I don't know where to start. I, you know, Conviction ranking these things would be a mess. Look at the top and look at the bottom. Now, at the top, your biggest holdings, again, we're going to talk about trimming because it's likely that those biggest holdings are at least companies that you like. Uh, and that have done well for you. 
So in terms of a portfolio management decision, you may choose to pair those back if the risk is getting outsized for your portfolio size. Now, that's different depending on your level of risk tolerance, right? Somebody that's a very aggressive investor might tolerate a very concentrated portfolio. Maybe 25% in a holding doesn't bother them. For me, 10 to 15% is, is a big number, right? If I saw a position size that was 10% or more of a portfolio, that's going to start to worry me. Uh, and I'm going to start to think about how can I trim that back? So you definitely want to have your own calibration there and understand that higher concentration risk also means higher portfolio risk, right? So that's looking at kind of the upper end. The other end that you can look at is on the small side, where if you've never really added to a position meaningfully, or maybe you bought it and it like decreased in value a lot, and now it's kind of this like, you know, little tiny holding for you, maybe you just say, okay, I'm going to cut bait on that because I clearly haven't made that next step to make it a meaningful part of my portfolio. For me, maybe that would be like a half a percent or less as a position size, right? Where even if you get like a double out of it, it doesn't become that meaningful, right? If you've only got like a quarter of a percent of the position in your portfolio, maybe you look at that and go, that's not something that I've really added to in a conviction way. For those smaller position companies, I also consider them nuisance companies. If they're, you know, 0.01 or 0.02% of your portfolio and just dragging along, do you really want to see those on your statement and on your online access every time you log in if they don't mean anything to you? So cleaning them up also allows you to focus on the positions you do care about and are meaningful to you. And I know that's not very scientific, but I do believe that has value as well. I, I agree, because if you've got so many holdings in your portfolio that you're struggling to keep track of them, that level of diversification, like maybe you're better suited just to have an index fund for some piece of it and then focus on some individual names that you really do have high conviction in versus spreading your bets so thin and so, you know, across the board that nothing is really having a meaningful conviction for you. Right At that point, that level of diversification, I really think an index fund is the better option where we can just kind of save our brain space for something else. All right. Now, now let's talk about the elephant in the room for a second. So if a stock is at 15 or 20% of my portfolio, it's probably because it grew there. And if it grew there, there's a lot of embedded capital gains in that position that maybe I don't want to realize. It's never fun paying taxes. So how should I think about trimming a position that may be too large while also being worried about what it might do to my tax bill at the end of the year. Yeah, I you know th there's an old phrase and we use this a lot which is don't let the tax tail wag the investment dog. It it's really difficult for people to deal with certain costs for uncertain benefits, right? Uh, I think we see this both in terms of fees for investment advice. People go, well, I'm going to pay you X. I can quantify that value of what I'm going to pay you. What am I going to get for that? Am I going to make enough to cover that? Right. So you get that sort of question. You get a question on things like a, a CD. Like if you needed cash and you were going to give up a CD early, you're going to have a fixed amount of interest that you might lose or not be able to keep as a result of doing that. Same thing happens with this when we're talking about selling stocks. We have a certain cost of selling it. And the likelihood is, especially if it's a company that you've had for a long time, you're keeping a meaningful position, the likelihood is it's going to keep going up. 
So you you have to start with a premise that it's okay to sell a stock and that it's likely to keep going up. You're not picking the top, especially on a trimmed position, right? So we're going to take a certain cost, we're going to trim something, and it may keep going up or likely will keep going up after that. All of those things can still be true. But if it's correctly serving our first two objectives, if it's correctly serving your cash flow needs, or if your outlook has shifted or it's become too big of a position in your portfolio, those can still be the right decisions. But I do think that there's a big mental hurdle there. Even as a financial advisor, it's hard to make that recommendation to someone just because I can see myself on the other end of the table. So the example that comes to mind most clearly was someone I worked with a few years ago who had a portfolio of several million dollars in two stocks. That's a lot of money in two individual companies. Uh, for, For anybody, at any level of risk tolerance, that's a lot. It is a lot. And on top of that, there are two companies that I hold in high esteem. So on its own saying you need to trim these companies you know it's it's hard to say because they're stocks that i like and that i personally held as well but that is a lot of risk a lot of risk and they were looking at a significant capital gains hit but i'm glad i made the sell recommendation to diversify across a larger number of holdings because even though i like both of those stocks to this very day in hindsight one of them has remained flat while the overall market has climbed And the other has taken a very substantial haircut. And if he had held, I think his retirement would be in jeopardy because he was retired pulling money from the portfolio and at a pretty substantial clip. So uh, I think that was a nice reminder for how important it is to make the right portfolio decision, even if it means you're facing large tax bills as a consequence. Yeah. And that it, we put that number three very specifically for a reason. And it's not because we want to ignore taxes, right? Taxes are a meaningful part of what we do as financial planners, even though we're not tax preparers or CPAs, but at a strategic level, where you pull money from, what your mixture is between IRAs and non-IRAs and Roth IRAs, right? All of that type of stuff is really powerful for us because I think we get to kind of play with those income sources and try and help people maximize. So anytime we're going to make a recommendation that we know is not tax neutral, but is going to be causing an increase in taxes, I think that's something that we take pretty seriously. At the same time, if your portfolio no longer matches your needs, it's important to do that. And again, we're building a portfolio to serve our lifestyle. We don't want to be bending our lifestyle around what we chose to do with our stocks, right? Everything from having the correct cash reserves so that we've got, particularly for retirement folks, that we've got enough safe capital available that we're not kind of bending ourselves to the whims of the market or we're not having to defer a retirement goal or something that we want to spend money on. All of that is in the spirit of, designing a portfolio that meets our lifestyle and not the other way around. Right. If, if we weren't trying to accomplish something with our money, what's it all for? You're just saving for the sake of saving, but it's there to use. So let's not forget that piece of it. So I think that that's going to end up being most of what we had for this episode. Not Not one of our longer topics, but I think a really critical one. If you've got a stock portfolio that no longer matches your conviction, if you've got a cash flow need, those are appropriate reasons to sell. And we think of being really ahead of that. I would be thinking three to five years in advance of when you're going to need the money in terms of starting to create that safe capital. You don't have to get 100% of the way there. But if those things are kind of on the horizon, have some humility about kind of where we 
can have false conviction in where the market's going. Dan, you and I say this all the time. We have no idea what's going to go on in the short term. And we try and bake that humility into our process. And I think that that's really important for people to take away as well. Everyone has said it. It was said again in the the Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits, a book that I highly recommend. More money is lost trying to avoid bear markets than in them. Was that originally Peter Lynch? I believe so. The, the quote from Philip Fisher is talking about individual positions and trying to hold on to break even. So Fisher's quote is, more money has probably been lost by investors holding a stock that they did not want until they could at least come even than from any other single reason. So uh, he kind of comes at it from an individual security perspective. And then I believe that Peter Lynch gave it a broad market application. Both of them, I think, are, are reasonable takes and, and certainly something that we've experienced as well. Uh, if you've got questions for our show, things you think we should be talking about and would like our view on, check your balances at Outlook.com. That's the email address. For folks that submit questions to the show, we've got a great set of Check Your Balances mugs that we've been shipping all across the country. So far, I haven't heard that we've broken any of them. So my makeshift bubble wrap and shipping station that I've got in my home seems to be working out okay. But uh, we love your questions. Love to hear from you. Hope everybody's enjoying the show. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time.